Would you pray with me, please? Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. We come before you in need of you, Lord. We come before you because we love you and adore you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would be powerful upon us to speak and to hear. Father, to bring into our hearts, to plant it deep in our hearts, O Lord. Let your word, my Father, have its full effect in all of us. And I pray you be exalted and glorified in all things. Father, we do adore you. We do adore you and, and praise you. And we just, we just ask you, come and do what you want with all of us, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, Father. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles or to, um, or to have your Bibles in your phones or iPods or wherever you have your Bibles. Uh, but be prepared to come to the Word and to be able to read it together with me and, and uh, to seek together what it is that the Lord has to say to us this morning. Uh, this morning I want to um, continue where we left off last week, uh, looking at the book of Acts uh, chapter 4. So you may want to go to the book of Acts chapter 4 in, your, in the Bibles that you have in your hands. Uh, just a, a little bit of a reminder of the context in which we get our scripture this morning. Uh, Peter and John, as good Jews, had gone to the temple to pray. The division between Judaism and Christianity hadn't just quite taken place. And so it was easy for Christians to be part of the rituals of the Jewish faith as well without being ostracized, persecuted, thrown out. At the beginning, Christianity was considered one more subgroup of Judaism, like the Essenes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and then there was this group of people that followed uh, Jesus as Messiah. It was a little bit of internal give and take with Judaism, but it wasn't yet a full open out division between them. Certainly the Romans didn't see them as a different group. And because they didn't see them as a different group, they allowed them to exist. The Romans had something where the Pax Romana or the Peace of Rome basically allowed ancient religions to coexist in their native uh, countries and among their native people without much problem. They didn't see it as a, as a confrontation to the Roman worship of the emperors. But they did have a problem whenever a new religion came up. 
A new religion was put down. A new religion was considered not ancient, not well-rooted, and so it, it was attempted to be put out. Christianity being part of Judaism in some way was allowed to continue without much difficulty. So Peter and John go to the temple at about 3 p.m. to pray, the third hour of prayer. And as they come to the temple, they find this man, they meet this man at the door of one of the gates. It was either the gate of the gate beautiful or the gate of the sheep, one of the gates. And this man was about 40 years old. And since he was born, he had a malady, he was lame. Either he was lame from his mother's womb, it actually says that, or something happened at birth and this man couldn't walk. And probably since he was young, the family would bring him either carried by two or three people or on a pallet of some sort, and they would place him at the entrance of the temple, one of the gates, perhaps one of the gates where it would have the most traffic. And this man would just ask for alms. Have mercy on me, have mercy on me, help a lame man, have mercy on me. Whatever way he did it, it was his time to receive some money for sustenance. And what better place to ask for alms when people's heart was open and when they were coming to worship and there was some need of mercy from God, so it was easy to have mercy for somebody else. And so he would be asking for, uh, for alms. We know from last week, I shared with you that uh, Peter says to him, neither silver or gold do I have, but what I have I do give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the man is healed instantly and leaps up to his feet and begins to uh, praise God, and I'm sure to run and to show people he can walk, and, and just as a big commotion happens there at the gate, and people who had recognized this man as, as, uh, as a lame man, uh, they know something big has happened, something miraculous, power has been present. And uh, the religious authorities also find out, they come, they see the man, they recognize the man, and what they do is they take Peter and John and arrest them. And put them probably in one of the rooms of the temple mount. Uh, and kind of put a guard around there, around them. And just put them in prison pretty much. Or put them in a, in a jail setting. Because it was 3 p.m. They were not going to convene the Sanhedrin, the 71 member Senate or court of the Jews to try Peter and John. So they spent all night kind of locked up in a room with, with a guard, and next morning they're brought out to meet uh, the Sanhedrin, which included some Pharisees, mostly Sadducees, and the high priest and the high priest family. And the big question that I told you last week was, in whose name and by what power did you heal this man? Remember that? I dealt with that last week. 
by what power and in whose name have you done this? And the thing I told you last week, and if you keep reading the chapter, it is very clear that they know that power has been effected. I mean, they're not denying that the man has been healed. What they're wondering is by what power or in whose name it had happened. Okay? And I told you last week, and and I need to set this up so that you understand, but I told you last week that Peter had been in in this place before. This was probably the place where Jesus had been tried just about two months earlier. And Peter had been in that area where he denied Jesus. Now it is him that is in front of the Sanhedrin at about the same place. And when they ask him, two things are different about Peter. One is he has witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. And two, Pentecost has already happened. And so they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So they're Holy Spirit filled and the resurrection of Jesus has transformed them. And so this time, Peter, instead of denying Jesus, when they question him and John, by whose power or in whose name you have done this, Peter's response is, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. No hesitation, no fear, no concern. He needs to tell them the truth that is in his heart. And he says to them, In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God has raised from the dead. He is the chief cornerstone that you rejected, but that God has placed as the main and important stone in his ministry and in his uh, faith. And then I told you to remember these words, which are probably some of the most important words here, where Peter boldly says to the Sanhedrin that can crucify them, he says that there is salvation in no one else. He says there is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. Those are extremely powerful words. There is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven given to man by which you can be saved. And I think that needs to be very clear in our hearts and in our minds. Now, that kind of sets the the situation and the context of what we're looking at. There are two verses that touch me deeply as I I read and reread this chapter. And if you take a look with me at verse 13, verse 13 of chapter 4 of Acts, it says, Now when they, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish authorities, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Okay? Just just read that. They are untrained and educated men, but the way that they are responding and the boldness that is within their heart 
they recognize that they have been with Jesus. Boldness is a sign that we know Jesus. Boldness in our own lives, boldness to speak and boldness to ask as the church of Jesus Christ is a sign that we ourselves have had an encounter with Jesus. That we have been to the Lord and the Lord has transformed us from fearful individuals to people who are bold to speak even in front of the Sanhedrin and tell the Sanhedrin that they are the crucifiers while, Jesus, while God raised Jesus from the dead. So it says, though they perceived that these individuals were untrained and uneducated, and for that means they were nobodies, yet there's something about them that has transformed them, and they knew that he or they had been with Jesus. Will people know that you have been with Jesus? Will people know that you are with Jesus every morning when you get up, that you are with Jesus every time that you open Scripture, that you are with Jesus every day after you leave church, that you have had an encounter with Jesus? Will people know or will they say, I wonder where they came from? I wonder what they did this morning. Or will they know in some way, by your actions, by your boldness, by your desire to share either what you hear here today or what you read in Scripture, that you have been with Jesus? That's a question for you to, to ponder and to ask. Will they know that you are a Jesus follower? Will they know that you have met Jesus and have made him Lord and Savior of your life? Will people be able to tell? You deal with that question in your heart. Because in the case of Peter and Paul, it wasn't about education, it wasn't about importance, it wasn't about dress, it wasn't about the car they may have driven, it was about nothing like that. The way that they had boldness, the way that they spoke for Jesus, the way they presented Jesus was a clear sign that they were followers of Jesus. They had been with Jesus. So that passage is very touching to my heart as well, and I need to answer that question for me as you have to answer it for you. Can people tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian because of the way the Christian acts and the way he speaks? Do your friends know you are Christian? Does your family know you're a Christian and they don't have any doubt? Do your co-workers know that you are a Christian? You don't have to tell them much. You just need to show them your faith, your passion, your love for the Lord, your mercy. Will people know that you've been with Jesus? The other passage that blessed me a great deal, as I again read, is in verse 19, 19 through 21 of chapter 4. 19 through 21. It says, But Peter and John 
See, what happened, and before you read this, this verse, what happens is they cannot deny the power was evident and present in the healing of this man. In fact, this man is standing right in front of them. They knew him as a lame man that sat at that door or at that gate for years. And now he's walking and running all around them, and he says, I've been healed. So they cannot deny it. So what they do to Peter and John, they decide not to beat them up, but rather to put the fear of God or the fear of the Sanhedrin in their hearts. And so they decide not to beat them, they decide not to imprison them, but they threaten them severely that they had to stop speaking about Jesus, proclaiming the resurrection, and proclaiming that there's power for salvation and power in the name of Jesus. They have to stop. They, they tried to silence Jesus before by killing him, and now they threaten John and Peter that the same thing could happen to them. They need to be silenced. And they tell them, stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And then this is where verse 19 comes. But Peter and John answered to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. For we cannot but speak the things we have seen and heard. Basically they're saying to the Sanhedrin, look, you do what you think you need to do. You want to crucify us, go right ahead. You want to imprison us, go right ahead. But whether we need to listen to you or listen to God, you decide that because we've already decided it. We've already decided that we cannot but speak the truth that we have seen, that we have touched, that we have handled. We cannot but share the truth of what God has done in our lives, the things we saw on Easter morning, the things we have seen all through the 40 days. We cannot but tell that the Holy Spirit came upon us and we started speaking in languages and tongues we had never known. All we can tell is the truth that now we pray and God manifests himself and there's power. And we cannot deny that. You may tell me to be silent, but I can't. Because I have to speak the truth of what God has done in my life. The truth cannot be silenced. The truth cannot be denied. You need to do what you need to do, but I must do what God has asked me to do. You see, the, the lovely thing about this is that Peter and John are not trying to be evangelists. They're not trying to have a system of presenting Jesus. They're not trying to learn or have learned uh, a methodology. What Peter and John are doing is just speaking the truth that they have experienced. 
All they are doing is sharing the things that they've seen, the things they have experienced, the, the, the Jesus that appeared to them and said, give me something to eat, put your finger here. They cannot deny that truth. And I, I don't ask you to learn methodology and to pull out a, a little booklet that tells you this is how you present the four spiritual laws. This is how you introduce somebody to Jesus. I think what we are being asked to do is just tell people the truth that is in our hearts. The experiences you have had, how the Holy Spirit has warmed your heart, how you have been taken from where you were five years, ten years ago to where you are today. That you tell people who you've been and who you are. That you share with them the powerful way in which Jesus Christ has been present in you, in your family, in your life. That you share the truth. Nothing but the truth. Evangelism is not about methodology. Evangelism is about sharing the truth that you know, that you know, that you know, that Jesus Christ is alive, that Jesus Christ has manifested himself to you in multiple ways, that he has transformed your life. You almost, almost without knowing that it's happened, yet he has moved in and you're a different person. Share how he did it. Share what you're going through right now. Share how he has been with you in the good times, in the tough times, in your marriage problems and your great victories. Just share how the presence of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit has done a marvelous work and is continuing to do a marvelous work. I'm, I'm not saying to you, and I don't think the Word is saying to Peter and John, that they need to learn a methodology. They, they just can't but speak the truth. What you want to do with me, go ahead and do with me. But I have to listen to God and, and tell you the things we have seen, the things we have experienced, the things we have touched. And it is undeniable that Jesus Christ is alive. We saw Him. We saw Him. We saw Him. The power of God came upon us. And all we want to tell you, all we want to tell you is our truth. You do with it what you want to do, but I cannot deny what He has done. I cannot deny that God has moved in. I cannot deny that God loves me. I cannot deny that God loves you. I cannot deny that the Son of God came into the world to save sinners. I cannot deny that, and for me to be silent about it is a form of denying it. And basically, Peter and John is saying... You do what you need to do, but we cannot but do what we need to do. And then what happens is after they threaten them with all kinds of threats, probably enough to scare anybody, what they do is, is they go home. They go to the house in Jerusalem where all the disciples gathered. It may have been the same house where the Holy Spirit had fallen just two months earlier. 
It may have been the very same house where Jesus appeared to them when the doors were shut and the windows were closed. It may have been that very same house that has served as the hub for the disciples in Jerusalem where they hid in fear the night that Jesus appeared to them. It certainly was a house in Jerusalem where all the disciples knew and they gathered there. And so Peter and John being set free after being threatened, they go to the house and they report to the rest of the disciples, they report what the Sanhedrin had said to them. But here's, here's what happens. The desire to silence them actually works against them. Because what they do is they pray. When they all gather together, they start praying. After they do the report, they start praying. And this is their prayer. Father, make us bold to speak. Not protect us from the Sanhedrin. But make us bold to speak without fear. And the second part of the prayer is we will speak the word. You extend your hand from heaven and do the miracles. They're not the miracle workers. God is the miracle worker. We need the boldness to speak. Whomever we meet, we need to tell them the truth. And you extend your hand from heaven and do the healings and do the powers and do the miracles. Verify our word, that our word is true. Verify it by the power that God we're asking you to exhibit. That's their prayer. Make us bold and you do the stuff. Through us, we'll lay the hands, we'll say the words in the name of Jesus, but you do the stuff. And it says that upon their prayer, the whole house began to shake again like the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit came and filled them up again and gave them the boldness that they were praying for. To speak and share the truth that was written in their experience and in their lives. It wasn't another Holy Spirit baptism, but it was another Holy Spirit infilling. And the whole place shook up and they received the Holy Spirit. Prayer turned fear into boldness. They sought the source of power. They sought the one for whom they were speaking and asked him to validate their words and their actions and their works and ministry. They went to the one they served and they asked him to give them the boldness that perhaps in humanity and in our human ability sometimes you and I lack. And we're afraid. And we're concerned that some people will reject us. And we're concerned that some people may not want to be our friends again. Or we may be concerned that somebody will hit us or spit us or do things to us or throw rocks at us. And I don't know what kind of concerns you and I have that fill us with fear and silence us and threaten us. 
when what we are called to do is just to share the truth, nothing but the truth that God is real, that God is love, and that Jesus Christ is the answer of God's love for the world. Prayer transformed the whole situation actually into more power. As they prayed and they sought God and gave themselves to do what God had asked them to do, more power came upon them from heaven. And the Holy Spirit kept coming and filling them up more and more and more. More power, Lord. More power, Lord. That's really what they were praying for. And I think you and I can learn from this. And when we feel fearful about doing something for God, we need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, give me the boldness, and you act with me to do these things. And you take the credit, and if nothing happens, you also take the, the problem. It's yours. You extend your hand. I will be obedient to do what you call me to do. I will share the truth. I will share what you have done. I will share how you have transformed me, and are in the process of transforming me. You go to the source of power and you'll receive power. And I pray your whole household and your whole life shakes like the day of Pentecost. And that you be filled with power. I want to give you five things today. Five things that will give you boldness. I want to give you five things that will, that will energize your boldness. It's what I will call the five C's. I'm going to give you five words that begin with C. That I believe will fill you with holy boldness. And I take this from the experience of Peter and John... And, and the whole scripture, really. The first C that I want you to, to have and to memorize and to know that it is a source of boldness, the first C is conviction. It's conviction. You know, the boldest people are people that are convinced, that have a conviction for a cause. And that, can, that doesn't just have to be... Christian conviction. I mean, communists were convicted of what they needed to do and they will do it. There are people out there that belong to groups or belong to causes and they're so convicted that what they're doing is good or important that they will do whatever they have to do. Why not as believers? We need the conviction. The conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord and there's no other name under heaven, by which people will be saved. We need the conviction that Jesus came into the world and died for our sins. We need the conviction that He rose from the dead. We need the conviction that Jesus Christ is coming again. And that He will take us to be with the Father forever. In the Father's house, wherever that may be, whatever the realm may be. But there's a place called my Father's house, my Father's presence. And we know that Jesus is coming again. And if you lack that conviction, that's why we may not have the boldness. 
Boldness comes from being convicted in your heart that you have a message to share. A message that is important. Important to you and important to the people that you need to share it with. And you can't be silenced about it. If our theology, if our theology is just a mental exercise and not an all-consuming reality that Jesus is whom he claims to be, that's where we sometimes lack the boldness to just tell the truth that we know to be true. And then we choose whom to share it with and whom not to share it with. I'll say to you that the, the people you don't think you should share it with are probably the ones you should share it with the most. If you can share it with them, you can share it with everybody else. The first thing that you and I need to have holy boldness for God is the conviction that takes, takes all of our hearts and our minds and we know we are in the will of God and we are the messengers of God and of Jesus Christ. That we have been commissioned and sent out in His name to do His things. If you lack that conviction, then your faith is a mental thing only and not a full heart thing. So I ask you to consider where does your boldness come from? Do you have it? Do you lack it? Are you convicted of the truth of the gospel in such a way that you cannot be silenced? So the first word I want to tell you is the word conviction. The second word that I want to give you is the word courage. Conviction and courage are not the same thing. You may have been convicted, but you lack the courage to go do it. You may have the conviction it's eating at your heart and you still will not go out on a limb for Jesus. And you will not take that step that is necessary, trusting that he's there with you. We need to ask for courage. Courage gives boldness, valor, even recklessness. Even recklessness at times. I... I see people trying to climb these mountains that look like they're flat. And they're just going in their fingernails. And I'm saying, oh my God. That looks impossible. But something in them says, I can do it. And they take their fear and put it in their back pocket. And they say, I'm going for it. And I think in our Christian sharing, we need that same thing. If we are convicted of the truth of God, we need to have the boldness, the, the, the courage, the valor to step out. To step out and let your word speak and let the Holy Spirit take it wherever He wants to take it. But you need courage. Courage leads to boldness. The third C I want to give you is a word that I would call competency. Let me tell you, if, if you have competency to do something, you have boldness, don't you? I mean, if you're a medical doctor and you know what you're doing on a surgery room and you can cut into people and you have competency, you have boldness. 
You ask me to do it, I don't have competency. I will lack the boldness. I won't even try it. But when it comes to Christ, we have the competency in our experience of Jesus. We're not asked to memorize the Bible from one cover to the other. We have the competency of our experience with the Lord. We have enough to share with the world who Jesus Christ is. We have competency. So I've, I've said to you, um, I've given you three C's, cur- conviction, courage, competency. Another thing that I believe will give you boldness is what I will call companionship. Companionship. Let me tell you, uh, I'm glad Peter went with John and John went with Peter. I think they fed off of each other. I think that's partly the reason Jesus sent them two by two. So that they can support each other, encourage each other, witness to each other. And I think boldness occurs when you and I do things together in the community. Things that you would be afraid to do by yourselves. When two or three or four or five go out to evangelize, we give each other boldness and courage when we do things together. But not just the the companionship of brothers and sisters will give us boldness, but the companionship of God. You need to know that wherever you go and whoever you speak to, the Holy Spirit is with you. That you're never alone. That God is with you. That God is around you. That His angels are around you. That He will protect you. That He will give you what to speak when you need to speak it. You are never alone when you serve the Lord. You have companionship. And knowing that God is with you will give you the boldness to face the Sanhedrins in your life. And then the last C that I will give you is what I would call confidence. Confidence. Confidence in precisely that God is with you. Confidence that it's not about success. It's about faithfulness. Confidence to know that you are in God's will. That you are in God's work, in God's ministry. And when you have the confidence that it's not about you, that it's all about God, you will have the boldness to step out on the limb and to try things you've never tried. And to face off with people who may not want to hear. And in love, I'm not asking you to offend people, but you can love them enough to just tell them the truth of who you are in Christ Jesus. Boldness. When you read chapter 4 of the book of Acts, at least three times the word boldness come up. They had boldness to speak to the Sanhedrin. They prayed for more boldness. At least three times, the the idea that they were bold, courageous, willing to trust God, is present in this one chapter. And so, 
I want you and I to know that we've been commissioned, that we've been sent out, that we have a message that has been written in our hearts and in our experiences, that we know who we've been and who we are, and even more, who we're yet to be because God is still at work in us. And we may not do or be everything we want to be yet, but we know that as God continues to work in us, that He will succeed. And every promise of God will be effective in our lives. Boldness. To be bold for Christ. I've given you five C's. Conviction of the truth. Courage to trust that truth, competency, companionship, and confidence. Oh my God, I pray for that, for that, for the church. I pray for that for this church in particular. I pray that for me. That I may have the boldness, the boldness to step out into areas I haven't even ventured out in 30-some years of ministry. That I still have so much to do for my Lord and my God who did everything for me. I pray, I pray that the power of God be evident in this church and in you, not in the building, in you to go do what the Lord has called us to do with boldness in the midst of situation and in front of people we could very easily be scared of or intimidated by. We just need to share the truth. Just the truth. No more, no less. Just the truth of what God can do in a person's life. So, I send you, and I pray for God's boldness. And I think boldness leads to more boldness. So maybe take steps in being bold, and you'll find yourself receiving even more, and being filled more and more and more and more. Stand up with me, please.